morning. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I love this CD. That was California Nights, Heaven Sent. And hope you're having a great start to the week this Monday morning. I have a very special guest coming up. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Ashley Rhodes Quarter is joining me, and I'm going to bring her on right now. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. Thanks so much for calling in. Oh, thank you for having me. You have an incredible backstory in that you're such a survivor. I mean, I don't know if you look at yourself and realize how strong, but I read your bio. I put it up on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, for those just tuning in. Could you talk about what happened to you when you were younger? Of course. Well, my first book, Three Little Words, is all about my experiences growing up in the foster care system. So I spent almost 10 years in care, and during that time, I had 14 different placements. And I later learned that almost 25% of my foster parents were or became convicted felons. Oh, my God. Yeah, needless to say, they were not always the, the, the best of circumstances. I had foster parents that had problems with drugs, alcohol, violence, pedophilia. Ugh. It was it was sort of a really traumatic experience. So, you know, my biological mother, she was a single teen mother who had grown up in foster care herself. So it was just this cycle of abuse kind of repeating itself. And I ended up in foster care. And my mom wasn't really able to get her life back on track. And so finally, when I was 12, I was adopted from a group home by a wonderful family. And even though we certainly had our our trials, (laughs) even after the adoption, you know, I had spent my life with so many disappointments and and no one really doing what they said they were going to do. And the very people that were supposed to protect me, they were sometimes the most abusive. And so um, it, it took a lot for me to be able to slowly start to heal. But I think having the chance at permanency and finding that adoptive family was really transformative for me and, and made all the difference in the world. And today I'm 29 mm-hmm. and I'm a mother and my husband and I became foster parents as well. Oh. And we've cared for over 20 foster children. And so I was really inspired to write my new book, which is Three More Words, um, mm-hmm. that just came out because everyone looks at my story and they say, oh, this was so many years ago. Things are changing. Things are so different. Really? Oh, we have, they really do. And they're like, oh, well, this was so, so long ago. So well, nice. as a foster parent and a mother now, yeah. um, unfortunately, I'm seeing that we need voices more than ever, and things are still just frightening for children in the child welfare system. So that's yes. really kind of where I am today. I, I went on to get a master's degree in social work, and so um, child Amazing. welfare issues are just very much a, a professional and personal passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really hoping that my stories inspire other people to contribute and check out what's happening in their own communities. You're really incredible. I'm not just saying that. I mean, you are such a survivor and you went through so much. It must have been very hard for you to trust this home that you finally went into that you stayed in. Oh, absolutely. My my adoptive parent, in three little words, there's an entire chapter called Testing, Testing, where <laughs> I pushed every button these people had. And I really... I didn't believe in happily ever after. I had right. even seen kids be unadopted. So even oh. the, the idea of adoption wasn't something that was necessarily permanent. Right. And so it really, I tested them a lot. And it really mm-hmm. just got to a point where I was like, man, I can't get rid of these people. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, no matter how much I screwed up or how cranky I was or whatever, you know, they really stuck through. And it was incredible. And I think it was sort of interesting to see 
that similar dynamic manifest um, when I was older and when I started dating and even when I met my husband. So three more words kind of catches readers up to speed since three little words ends when I graduate high school. Three more words opens with me going to college, uh, meeting my husband, and I think I put him through a lot of years of testing and pushing and not being all that lovely. um, I, I think that was definitely something that, was because of my childhood and, and perhaps something I'll deal with for the rest of my life. But that's, I'm, I'm so glad that I had the outcome that I did and that I have people in my life who, who just stuck it out. And I, I wish that for all kids with my mm-hmm. background. Were you a, an optimistic child when you were younger? Because did you feel like you were older than your years? Well, I definitely, I definitely felt like I was older than my years. I mean, I, I was forced to grow up. I, when I was a toddler, I was walking around a trailer park begging for food for oh, myself and my baby gosh. brother. So, oh. you know, you, you're really forced to grow up really quickly when you are experiencing poverty or abuse and neglect. And when I was in one of the foster home, there were 16 kids sharing two bedrooms in a trailer, and we were beaten, starved, locked outside. And I sort of became kind of an advocate in that home. I was seven, but I would go to school, and I would tell my teachers, and I would talk about what was happening. And uh, it did spark investigations, but unfortunately, so many of the other kids were so terrified to admit what was happening so I was branded a liar and a troublemaker oh and ultimately shipped out of that home. So I've, I've always had kind of this fighter spirit and mm-hmm. desire to advocate and help other people, but I definitely was not an optimist. I didn't yeah. think that there was really going to be a, a glowing outcome for me. I, I definitely had dreams and goals, and I loved school, and school was a wonderful sanctuary for me. That's great. And so I had always hoped that I would do well in school, but there's no way I ever could have conceptualized the sort of life and opportunities that I've had today because our whole lives were told that we're worthless and that mm-hmm. we just are going to be prostitutes like our parents, or we're going to need to work the welfare system. I mean, the things people say to foster kids, or just the lack of expectations, can be really crippling. And so I I had dreams for myself for a better life, maybe like all kids do, but my my prospects were pretty grim. I mean, nationally, across the country, 50% or less of foster kids will graduate high school. 3% 3% or less receive a bachelor's degree. Mm. So those numbers alone show you how, how bleak the outcomes can be for these kids, especially yes. those who have spent so much time with so much upheaval and so much time in foster care. So right. it's, it's always a gamble. You know, it's incredible when you talk about how you were excelling in school, how that was like your safe haven, and you just felt like there was so much more for you in this world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, school was... You know, when I went to school, I wasn't beaten, and I didn't go hungry, and I had wonderful teachers that were so encouraging. And it turns out that school, it it Mm -hmm. fits you well in life to to perform well in school. And I I was also very lucky that I didn't have a cognitive deficit or um, substantial behavior issues. So I was really able to thrive in the classroom, and I will just always have a love for learning. And my adopted family are, you know, college-educated and incredibly smart, talented, gifted people who enriched my life in so many ways and incredible. traveled with me and, and just provided a, a life that I never could have imagined. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really important that we're equipping any child with the skills that they need either academically or extracurricular um, 
to, to engage them in, and it could be sports, it could be art, it could be literature, it could be anything, but finding something that kids are good at right. and helping them focus their energies, focus their sometimes frustrations into really positive outlets, and it can be, it can make all the difference in the world. Let me ask you this, because you've been in the shoes of these foster kids. Obviously, you faced incredible funks, ups and downs. How did you stay positive in all this when you were a child? How, is it because you were vocal? And Because it's interesting, you said you went to school and you told people. I think that's very cathartic. Well, it was, but, you know, I, I wasn't, I don't know that I even stayed positive. It was mostly, I was in survival mode. I just mm-hmm. kind of went through the motions. I knew what I had to do to get to point B. I'm like, okay, well, I need to survive this day, so I need to make sure that this teacher likes me. I don't want to draw attention to myself. So it wasn't wasn't really all that healthy, I think. It was just mostly being in survival and getting myself to the next day because sometimes I wouldn't go to bed in the same house where I went to sleep the night before. So it was these constant moves and upheavals, and no one ever tells you anything. They just assume that you're a child that can't possibly understand. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just end up being very cut off from the world and very reserved, and you kind of function. Right. But you're not not necessarily processing. Yes. No, I understand. I understand. And congrats, you received a uh, scholarship. That's incredible. Could you talk about that? Oh, sure. Well, when I was adopted, I had been adopted so late, so my parents didn't really have a lot of money set aside for me to go to college. So as a teenager, I started applying for scholarships and writing contests and pretty much anything I could get my hands on to try to subsidize my college experience. So I ended up winning a contest for the New York Times Magazine where they asked you to write a letter um, or write a story about the day that really impacted you. And I wrote an essay called Three Little Words, which was about my adoption day, and that's what ultimately uh, was turned into a book. I won first place, and it was just incredible. Wow. So that really started, started laying the, the groundwork for what I would be able to do in college. And ultimately, I got a full... Um, scholarship to Eckerd College in Florida, mm-hmm. and it was a great experience. So I got my bachelor's from Eckerd and then went on to get my master's degree from the University of Southern California. And um, I, I really hope that I can continue to give back to the very system that failed me in so many ways to try to prevent stories like mine from happening. And through the stories that we share of our foster children, I think readers will be shocked and appalled, but hopefully inspired to take action for the kids in their community because we need voices for these kids more than ever. Absolutely. Now, you you go and lecture, don't you? I do. So I'm also a keynote speaker, and I I do motivational speeches um, for a variety of clients all around the country, and it's so wonderful getting to meet so many interesting people and businesses, especially those who are doing something in the community or have a philanthropic angle or are reaching out to help those like me, because I think as a foster child, I, I wouldn't have had a fraction of the opportunities that I did if it weren't for the generosity of community members and local businesses. So I, I have a huge soft spot for philanthropic groups. And I just, I get really excited because I get away from my kids for a little bit. <laughs> uh, my, my husband and I, we have two biological children mm-hmm. and one adopted son who are now just turned one, two, and three. Oh so I have a whole house full of crazy little boys. Yes. 
and it's gosh. wonderful and so exciting. So yes, and someone exhausting. should book me for a speech immediately so please, mommy can get a vacation. <laughs> please, if people are listening, she's available. Yes, <laughs> in about five minutes. <laughs> And um, you have so many accolades. Again, it's up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. Um, you actually were on 25 million bags of Doritos. What is that all about? Oh, yeah. So that, that was during my contest phase. So okay. I was, again, applying for this award that um, with an organization called Do Something. Oh, yes. And part, part of winning that was that you know, they were partnering with Doritos. So my, my story and little picture got featured on a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, which was mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome and crazy. And that's so great. that's just another example of how I just never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would have permanency or a family and certainly never thought that, you know, I would be on the back of Doritos or right. um, that my first book would be made into a movie or yes. just any of the crazy things that are happening. I'm, I'm so fortunate. And Again, hopefully that story will inspire or continue to inspire change for other kids like me. So tell me about the movie, because I was thinking as you were describing the first book, it could be a movie. Well, it's it's in the very early stages, and I think I'm just really excited to be a part of the conversation. I'm sort of low on the totem pole of people that get yeah. <laughs> information, and it's a whole new field, uh, well beyond anything that I I know much about. But it's just amazing to have the chance to have a national conversation sparked about foster care and adoption and some of these issues. So I'm just tremendously excited. Well, what's interesting, too, is for you to win this writing contest for the New York Times is no small task. It's an incredible thing that you did. And then, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, I, it's unbelievable. And then did you find once you started writing, things started pouring out of you? Very much so. And, and even as a young child, I used to journal and write things down, especially because I felt like I had to be a little bit of a detective and mm-hmm. track down my history for myself because there were huge gaps in my records and, and I moved around so much that sometimes it was hard to remember where I was or which pet went with which family, which teacher went with which school. or It, it was all very confusing. So mm-hmm. I had always loved to journal and write and, and it was absolutely so therapeutic to kind of get it all down on paper and see for myself all of the things that I had experienced and where I had gone. And some people are like, well, how could you possibly remember some of the stuff you were so young? Well, I'm lucky in that, first of all, you remember really traumatic experiences very vividly, but also I had access to my case files that consisted of over 80,000 documents. They were arrest reports, interviews, caseworker notes, foster parent licensing files. I mean, I had just this treasure trove of information. And I also conducted interviews with uh, former foster parents and biological family members. And so I really made an effort to have firsthand accounts for everything that I discussed and have evidence and documentation, especially because, you know, my entire life I was told that I was lying about my abuse. So oh, having on. having a really authentic voice and evidence was super important in both of these books. Yes. I could imagine that uh, kids probably really reach out to you. I know you've been featured in Teen People, uh, USA Today, Glamour, et cetera, et cetera. You're, you're such a role model, I mean, for people to really open up to. Well, I, I love getting letters from young people who, I mean, sometimes they just feel like they're completely alone. But I know right. that my story is not unique. It's not the only one. And if my story can help an, another young person who's struggling and I'm just, I'm so excited because something they don't realize is that having these 
adverse experiences or things that they might be embarrassed about actually makes them that much more capable of succeeding because I guess the running joke is that I got in everywhere I applied for college because <laughs> growing up in foster care made for a heck of a college entrance essay. Oh, <laughs> and so it's, you know, being yeah. able to harness your story and, and turn it into something positive for yourself and for the community is just incredible. Yes. And so I hope that my story is able to show young people just how powerful their voices are. Right. What advice would you give to somebody who's in foster care, who's absolutely miserable, who feels like there's something wrong here? Well, and not all foster care experiences are bad. And, and right. I, I'd like to think that my husband and I are really good foster parents and we're able to provide a layer of happiness and experiences that these kids wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important for kids to realize that, A, there are people that can be trusted and they should really reach out to those mentors or teachers or parents that are going to progress their lives lives in positive ways, but that also, at the end of the day, they are in charge of their own destiny, their own outcome. And I think what's been so frustrating is that I see so many of my former foster brothers and sisters or former foster youth who are now adults, and they just can't move on to the next phase of their lives because they keep focusing on everything that happened to them. And and yes. it's really about letting go of those experiences and moving forward. And I think when you're able to not necessarily forgive or forget, but you really have to take your life into your own hands. And there, just, there comes a stage where your life is your own, and right. it's not going to matter that the abusive, you know, that you had an abusive foster home or that you feel abandoned by your parents. You really have to conquer some of these emotions because, you're the only one that suffers in the end. That's right. Well, that holds true for anybody, whether you uh, Truly. Lo- lose a friend, a parent, anybody, or you're facing some kind of obstacle. We do have to move on. We don't have to, you know, people say, oh, you just move on, forget it. You have to get over it. Well, not necessarily. It's everybody in their own time and their own pace. Very much so. But, you know, people look, oh, how, you know, some, sometimes even my foster siblings that were in some of these abusive foster homes, I think to myself, okay, are those foster parents caring whether or not I'm thriving right now? Probably not. So, they, you know, my brother was almost killed in that home. So oh some pretty gosh. horrific things happen. But yeah. why am I going to continue to allow them to further ruin my life That's or right. hurt my outcome? And they probably haven't given two thoughts about me. So right. it, it just you just have to kind of let go yes. and sort of rechannel those experiences. Otherwise, they can cripple you for the rest of your life. That's right. That's right. Do you have advice for people that are in a funk, they're going through some kind of tough time, um, something they can do to stay positive? Well, I think one of the one of the hardest things to do is to, to say to someone in that situation, oh, well, you just need to stay positive. Oh, you just need to get over it. Yeah. That's not necessarily the case. And I've certainly experienced extreme highs, extreme lows. I'm constantly battling with PTSD and and things from my past are very much resurfacing in my adult life. And even as, as stable as I am today, mm-hmm. you know, those memories and those experiences don't always go away. Right. So I think it's just important for people to have a layer of understanding that things do get better. These yes. negative feelings are only temporary, that there is, there is hope, there is a fresh day, there is a fresh start, there is an interesting world of other people out there who might be going through what you're going through. And if you're able to surround yourself with a like-minded community, that can be really helpful. And I think now with the Internet, 
it's, it's incredibly easy to find groups of like-minded people who share your experiences or your beliefs or your interests, and, and you're able to reach out in ways that weren't possible prior. But yes. if you feel like you're really struggling, then absolutely ask for help. You know, seek help with a therapist or a psychiatrist or a physician or yoga or, you know, do something that helps you channel your issues in a positive way. And, and if it's, if it's something that you can't deal with, with meditation or lifestyle change or exercise, then definitely seek help and don't go at it alone because you just you don't have to be alone. As, as awful as some people say my story is, again, it's not unique at all. And so I've just found this interesting world of people who are foster parents or adoptive parents or who have experienced child abuse or rape or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. And even though it's so easy to feel isolated in these situations, you're just never alone. And there's always a fresh slate. There's always yes. a tomorrow. And yes. I think it's just kind of not letting your emotions overpower your logic. Yes. And I want to just touch on one thing. Um, you, you got the scholarship, but would you say that going to college, you, you had a double major in communications and theater and a double minor in political science and psychology. Was that your form of healing too? Because I would think it would be. Oh, absolutely. So the, I, I, I like to stay busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think I really thrive in chaotic situations. For instance, in three more words, I'm in one part of my life a few years ago, I was finishing my graduate program, I was pregnant with our first child, I was interning, and I was running for state senate. So (laughs) it was this crazy, hectic situation. That's it? That's all you were doing? That's nothing. Just a few things. Just a few things. So, you know, it's really about maximizing your life opportunities. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, volunteering and giving back is a weird way is like the most selfish thing that I've ever done because it feels so good to do something for other people, to engage your community, to help in any way. And especially when it comes to child welfare issues, there's always a way to give back and contribute by being a mentor or a foster parent or adoptive parent, or maybe you're a business owner and you can provide expertise or skills or resources to other agencies who are helping children. And I think investing in this population specifically does huge wonders for our community at large because if we don't deal with these kids, our statistics show us that we just deal with them in the next welfare system. They're the right. kids that get hooked on drugs, become homeless, they get incarcerated, and it's just these vicious cycles that are are constantly repeating because there's no one there to intervene and show them another possibility. Yes, yes. I mean, look at your life. You could have ended up in a totally different, you know, lifestyle. I mean, but you completely, yeah, completely changed your life. Yeah, absolutely. And and admittedly, my biological brother um, didn't fare as well as I have. So he's a very personal and constant reminder of how very different my life could have been and mm-hmm. of, you know, why you have to make conscious decisions. It's not always emotionally easy or obvious. You just have to make that conscious decision to, you know, not break the law, <laughs> to yes. do things that are going to progress your life in a positive way, to show up at work even if you don't feel like it. You know, there are just certain things that you have to do to continue on a path that will enhance your life positively. And you're going to experience setbacks, and things are going to get really hard. This year has been a very difficult year for my husband and I. We had one of our foster children in February. Mm-hmm. She had been returned to her 
biological grandparents whom she had been removed from in the first place. And in February, she was murdered by (gasps) her uncle also living in the home. And this is after over a year of professionals saying that this is not a safe home, they should not go back there. So that was devastating, and it was definitely our worst fears as foster parents come true to have one of our former kids, this beautiful nine-year-old little girl, um, beaten to death oh, uh, in, in a home, and we were just powerless in, in the whole situation. So things are going to happen, but we have mm-hmm. to learn from them. We have to move on, and we have to use these frustrating experiences to reinforce the work that we're doing and remember you know, that these are life-or-death situations sometimes and yeah. that there really, there really is a positive outcome if you're able to reframe it as one. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, if people want more information about you or to look up your books, where can they go? Oh, please do ask any questions. You can visit me um, at my website, roads-quarter.com, R-H-O-D-E-S-C-O-U-R-T-E-R.com. And there's information about uh, our, the little girl I just described. Her name is Jenica. It was Millie in the book. Um, so you can look up information about that or reach out, ask any questions, find me on social media, um, and I'm happy to connect. Okay. Thank you so much for calling into the show, Ashley. Oh, no, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. You are incredible. That's an understatement. <laughs> thank you so much. I look forward to reading your book. Excellent. Thank you, Ashley. Take Have care. a good one. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Ashley Rhodes Quarter, who is a New York Times bestselling author. And if you missed any part of today's show, it will be up on my blog later on in the day which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I'm Janine. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out, and this is KUCI 88.9, 80, excuse me, 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, we're going to listen to another track off of uh, Best Coast, California Nights, and then that's a wrap for me. Sheldon Abbott will be up next with Cure for the Blues. All right, he's standing by. Got his arms up. Woo! <laughs> Have a great week, everybody, and I'll be back next week. 